and welcome to episode 78 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the casual spike, focused on the latest decks, trends, strategies, and cards in Modern and Pioneer. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the one and only Shane Beeps. Stanislav, I like this sort of like casual 90s look you got going on today, like you just got... Got done with your shift. I don't even know where. The 7-Eleven with Silent Silent Bob and Jay. Is it Silent Jay and Loud Bob? That's it. No, it's not it. Bob is very loud and outspoken. Okay. Yeah, the, the dream of the 90s is alive on the dive down today. In your wardrobe. Also with us, the godfather, Dave Harbarger. I, I have a question for you guys today. So, you know, I've, I've been cooking a lot lately. We're kind of coming down to the end of our provisions. I'm trying to make the best of, uh, you know, what's been in the cabinet and all that kind of stuff because nobody's going out. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Oh, sure. So I came up with a recipe and um, decided to Google it for some validation to see if anybody else had had come up with it. Should I be worried that Guy Fieri came up with the same recipe that I came up with, you think? (laughs) Or is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Guy Fieri is a acclaimed chef. And a good man. Hmm. So it sounds like you're in good company, Dave. Dave, what's the recipe, though? Uh, I marinated a flank steak in a Bloody Mary. In donkey sauce. No, in a Bloody Mary. For real. It was very good. It really that worked. killer. It was great. Shane, the last time you were here, you made me buy all the Zing Zang. Oh, it's so good. And I didn't have anything to do with it. So I was like, I'm just going to use it for something. And uh, it worked. Little tip, little tip from me to you. I'm going to do some tofu marinade in that. How do you cook the steak? I mean, grilled still. Rare, medium rare. I mean, yeah, you know, with a flank steak, you don't want to have it be too, too rare because it's super chewy. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I like it. I like it as rare as you can have it. Huh. Today I learned. On this week's episode, we start with a quick breakdown to look at the last two Pioneer challenges and get a glimpse of the weekend's surprisingly open Pioneer metagame. Is the format more dynamic than we've been giving it credit for? Stay tuned to find out. Not us, but maybe everybody else. (laughs) Then we head into the dive down where we conclude our picks to click bonanza for Core Set 21, the highly anticipated sequel to last summer's Core Set 20. But first, some housekeeping. Hello, welcome, and thank you to the newest patrons to join the Dive Down Nation. This week's shout-outs go to Daryl P. and Andrew C. Thanks so much for supporting the show. It means a lot to us. If you'd like to support the show, you can find us over at patreon.com slash thedivedown. Got a variety of perks, gifts. If, if you are you know have extra money, maybe you could throw some, some of that extra cash towards a charity that is important to you. I mean, I think there's a lot of good causes to support right now to you know either help people because they're sick and struggling with covid or to help people because they have been dealt a bad deal with like social political injustice at the hands of police and you know other societal factors that you know we've talked about a little bit before yeah but if you're looking to support us specifically of course you can find us at patreon.com slash the dive down we are also brought to you in part by mana traders It is a service that we have used for a very long time for renting Magic Online cards. 
uh, before they were even a sponsor of the show. They thankfully now are a sponsor and it's been awesome. They're awesome to work with. The renting the cards is super fast. They have are even moving away from the mana hour system just to be kind of like, uh, hey, we trust you with these cards. So use them and give them back when you can. Don't keep them too long. And that's pretty cool. Makes it a lot easier to use, less stress. Uh, if you want to sign up for Mana Traders to rent Magic Online cards, you can go to manatraders.com and use sign up code the dive down, all one word. And we get a little bit of kickback from that, and that's super helpful. So thanks. All right, with all that out of the way, I'm just going to toss it right back to Shane, who's at the news desk this week. So I think if you had been listening to some Pioneer chatter this past week or so since the Companion nerf, I think people have been feeling pretty down on Pioneer at the moment. I think that people were hoping that something new, something different might appear after the Companion nerf, but initial findings looked like, oh, cool. 25% 25% of our meta game is inverter. Yeah. And, you know, our meta analysis found that last week. I think anecdotally, it looks like there's not that many people in the Pioneer League right now on, on Moto. Like maybe there's only 400 or 500. Uh, there's over 900 in the modern league right now, which isn't giant either. But, um, you know, double is kind of a surprise. And I think there was this like brief golden era for Pioneer. Uh, when it was still a newer format where, you know, you could make the argument that it was actually just the most popular format in Magic for a, for a minute there. Uh, and, and I think we've kind of seen that maybe level out for organic reasons. But, you know, as Shane alluded to, there seems to be like a little bit of public sentiment about the health of Pioneer being in a poor place right now. Yeah, I think part of that is people just sort of seem discouraged about, you know, what decks can I realistically play that are both fun and powerful uh, right now to play in Pioneer. But I'm here to give you a brief and yet hopefully substantial ray of light into the world of Pioneer, the results of the two most recent Pioneer challenges. So what I'm going to do, run down the top eights from both these events. We'll have a really quick metagame breakdown and assessment and then move on to the fun stuff in Corset 2021. So Saturday the 13th, we have Jabberwocky on Sultime Midrange in first place, featuring three... Shark Typhoons, kind of just a useful card in a lot of these mid-range and control decks now, right? Draws a card, leaves a body. Why not? Sign me up. Second place, Fistful of Metal on Simic Ramp. Uh, Kind of going back to a deck we haven't seen for uh, many months now, I think, realistically. Some big ramp targets in this. Kozilek the Great Distortion as a two of. A a really interesting inclusion is Unexpected Results, which is a sorcery, two green-blue, um, as you shovel your library, reveal the top card. If it isn't a land card, you get to cast it for free. If it is a land card, you put that onto the battlefield and you get to put unexpected results back into your hand. Why not? Dave, you, you, you have been playing magic longer than Stan and I, and this card's from what gate crash. Yeah. Why isn't this card? Why hasn't this card really been seeing a lot of play? Do you think just, just too random, not reliable enough? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it, that's totally it. I, I had to look it up just now to remind myself of what the art looks like. Uh, even it is an interesting card. Uh, but yeah, I think, you know, sometimes you kind of hit a giant payoff and sometimes you hit nothing. It, but yeah. if you can establish, uh, really early, a big mana advantage, it seems like you could find worse, uh, mana sinks. Just, it's just, it's interesting that this card is considered powerful enough to be a four of in this deck. So 
keep your eye on unexpected results. Maybe it has a place in the meta, especially in Simic Ramp here. Yeah, I think the bigger thing that's in this deck that people should keep an eye on is Shrine of the Forsaken Gods, which is a card that is powerful, kind of filling that Tron spot in um, in Pioneer. So I think if there's time to play it, you'll start seeing more decks that are built around using it. Third place, Usung on Is It in Soul? Not splashing any white here for a Jeskai or anything like that. Featuring two dive downs in the main. So there you go. Yes! New, new tier one staple. We did it! Dive down. <laughs> Usung, we see you. Yeah, we see you. And uh, we'll see Usung in the next top eight. So it was a little, little bit of a tease there. Fourth place, Nuclear Atom on Boros Heroic. Notice I did not use the word Feather because Feather is not in the deck. And I think that's pretty common nowadays, just a Boros Heroic beatdown deck. Fifth place, E. Kaminuma on Mono White Devotion featuring Karn the Great Creator. Sixth place, Japanese Fisherman on Five Color Niv Mizzet. Seventh place, Krebovich on Esper Super Friends Control featuring Yorian as the companion. There's none in the main. Eighth place, Showtime on Chonkish Red. So this sort of tops out at three Torbrin. I sort of look at Glorybringer as like the chonky threshold. Like once you have Glorybringer into the chonk zone, but before that, you're just kind of like a mid-range red deck. And this deck has no Glorybringers? Yeah, none. So it's kind of like it's kind of like the deck that I ran at the Pioneer GP down in Phoenix, which was just, you know, a, an aggressive red deck that topped off at, at Torbrin for the value there, just trying to keep the curve fairly low. Sunday the 14th. Let's go through this top eight. Indian Pancake on Demir Inverter. Don't look too closely here. Okay, we'll just, we'll just go past that. Uh, second place, though, we have Usung. Again, ran it back. The Izzet and Soul deck with two dive downs. Third place on Saturday. Second place on Sunday. Way to go. Killing it with Izzet and Soul. All right, so dive down. Basically functions as an alternative to Stubborn Denial here. And I think that's really cool and interesting because Stubborn Denial has a floor. You know, sometimes you can't get the ferocious off of it because you're not trying to protect something that is ensouled yet. And I kind of love Dive Down as like a solution to that problem where it's always going to give your creature hexproof versus Stubby D, which like sometimes whiffs. But on the other hand, sometimes Stubby D can also deal with like non-removal spells and can counter a planeswalker or whatever yeah i think this is more just on game plan right like like you said it's like my my goal is to suit up an artifact creature and if i'm suiting up my first artifact creature i don't have stubborn denial ready to go i don't want to get blown out get two for one uh with a shock you know hitting something so a dive down makes a lot of sense here yeah if only we could send our patrons signed copies of mtgo cards <laughs> uh, third place we have got claudio on azorius control a lot of little interesting inclusions here i mean there might not be super weird there's but there's also three sharknados in there so staple you know big blue controlling card at this point fourth place p proteus on boros burn fifth place cws on lotus breach sixth place ms skin bollock on bant spirits and this is kind of going back to that like playset tribal band spirits, just four of everything, including collective company and 24 lands, I believe. So play all the good creatures and flyers that you can. I think it's all spirits except for brazen borrower, which is a one of no, there's four of it's four of everything. It, my has, friend. it has four borrowers too. four of everything. 
Wow, the it, list I'm running in Pioneer right now only has one. Same. As a spicy. <laughs> Seventh place, BN Trusty 14 on Mono Black Vampires. Eighth place, Jackal on Sultai Midrange. So, top eight takeaways. We only have one Demir Inverter. Not so bad. A decent amount of Uro. Nothing too scary with the level of Uro dumb here. 14 different decks in our top 16s, our top 16, the two top eights here. And one is the same person. So that's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, worth noting too that um, there's only a couple of decks with companions. Both of the Boros decks were running Luris as a companion, the burn deck and the heroic non-feather deck were both running Luris, which kind of explains where feather went off to. Um, So that's pretty cool. And then, like you mentioned, there's one or two uh, Yorian decks as well. So you know, it's not going way over the top. Yeah, I like it. I think it looks healthy. Let's talk about our quick uh, top 32 metagame assessment, the combined top 32s of these two uh, mini tournaments. So we had Demir Inverter at 17%, Black Vampires at 11%, Mono Red at 11%, Mono White Devotion at 8 Esper Control at 6 Lotus Breach at 6 Sultai Delirium about 5 Niv Too Light about 5 Boros Burn about 5 Naya Midrange, which has to be the Winota decks, correct? I think so. And then we kind of get into like our 3% and whatnot of Mono Black, Is It in Soul, Band Spirits, things like that. Sort of the, the more fringy tier 2-ish type stuff. But I like this. I mean, Demir Inverter at 17 is still not amazing, but we see a lot of different decks holding their own here and showing up in these top 32s. We have what, like, you know, 15 plus different decks that are holding their own. They're making top eights in these tournaments. That's a, that's a lot of stuff to choose from. Yeah, big drop for Lotus Breach week over week where it went from being just like hands down the second most popular deck to now in what, is it sixth place or so? Yeah, that's, that's right, Stan. I think what's interesting here is I think that people are really shoring up their sideboards to fight combo. Mm-hmm. But that's unfortunate because if you consider Demir Inverter a combo deck, we're still not losing a huge metagame share here. I mean, seven, seven-ish percent since last week is significant. But it's still saying like, you know, I'm I'm trying to shore up my combo matchup. I'm I'm putting in things like drill bits. I'm putting in things like Soul Guide Lantern, like Lost Legacy. That's, that's the kind of stuff we're seeing in Mono Black Vampires, for instance, which is our second place deck. So they're really trying to shore up these matchups against things like Lotus Breach, against things like Demir Inverter. And they're doing well for it. I mean, 11% for Black Vampires. That's a lot. Yeah. Big leap with that deck. So get those Sorens now if you're into those kind of strategies. If you've been just into mono black, maybe it's time to say, oh, I'll spread my wings a little bit. Get some more vampire lords and vampire planeswalkers. I think it is a little unfortunate that inverter is so hard to interact with. You know, if you have mystical dispute, that's good, but they can dispute your dispute. They often do. Uh, Otherwise, you kind of need these like super surgical get this card out of the person's library tools and and those are only really available in like black or blue black Mm -hmm. so i feel like dealing with inverter is just really challenging for where the pioneer metagame is now and i find that a little disheartening i think that's what a lot of people find a little disheartening about the format in particular yeah it's a lot i mean i think that i think it's probably fair to say that if you you take a little off the top of demir inverter somehow either you know, if you if you ban inverter, the deck's dead. If you try to take something else out of it, it might make it more fair. And then I think we have a pretty 
flat-ish, you know, slight ramp up to the best decks in the format. And I think people would be pretty happy. But I think that it's also safe to say that there are strategies you can play that are not inverter. Um, and they can be in a variety of colors. I mean, even we have Esper Control at 6% right now. And that's an interesting, somewhat new deck. I'm sure that leverages Yorian by and large and a lot of Planeswalkers. So if you want a controlling strategy, go for it. So all this being said, we are currently running Trevor from our uh, Patreon Slack is currently running a Pioneer uh, tournament. What are we all playing in the tournament? Spooky undead people in band colors. Yeah, you you both are running spooky lads and lasses, right? Yep. Who would have thought Stan and I would pick the same deck? It's never <laughs> happened before. Very unusual. You know what I'm running. This time we didn't talk about it though, Dave. I think it kind of happened coincidentally. Though we did on our last breakdown last week say like, yeah, I, I know I said I'd play Spirits in Pioneer right now. I think I said I would play Lu- uh, Jeskai Luca. You did. Which I decided not to just because I wanted to save some brain power in this league. So <laughs> I was just poking around and saw that Spirits did well in one of these challenges and grabbed a, a list and went for it. And uh, then I realized that four people out of the uh, people in our community tournament are on spirits. So, I mean, we have, we have a bunch of spirits fans in there. Um, yeah, I'm of course running, I'm running uh, aspiring spikes, green splashing white planeswalker deck. Uh, Cause I want to mess with that deck again. So why not? Have you played your first match, Shane? No, I've been, I, I've built a deck all weekend and I prepared for this episode. Mm. So I haven't had time yet, but yeah, you know, I'm I'm actually playing Trevor, so he can he can get on me to move this tournament along. <laughs> Did we see any of this uh, Green Walkers in the like six percent other category from the top thirty-two? Nope. No Green Walkers. So it had a it had a brief flash last week. Um, it was in the top eight. I think it was seventh place in one of our tournaments, but it was not here this week. So remains to be seen. Yeah, I'm sure I'll top eight with it. So. Hey, I'll see you up there. Maybe you too, Dave. All right. That wraps up our very quick breakdown. Thanks, Shane. I, I mean, I even though I've expressed frustration with Inverter in particular, I do think Pioneer is still pretty fun. The fact that like Insoul is still a playable deck means a lot to me for, for personal reasons. And like Bant Spirits does give you this like fun tempo controller strategy. Like any chance to play Spell Queller is right by me, so... I have faith and, you know, we're going to keep an eye on this format in the weeks to come and, and kind of see where it goes, especially after Court 21, which I think marks the first break of this episode. Such a smooth transition, Stan. Thank you. Thank you. I came up with it on the spot. We're going to take a quick breather. And when we return, we are going to keep talking about new cards, goblins, angels, humans. Oh, my. Stay with us. And we're back, and I'm excited to lead with one of the spiciest cards in this new set. It's got a lot of people talking. We want to talk about it. I'm sure you're expecting us to talk about it. We're going to tell you what this card is. Everyone's discussing it. What could it be? What are we doing this week on the dive down? We're talking about cards from Core Set 21, cards that we think are interesting, maybe some friendly debate. 
I don't know if we're going to debate this next card. I'm excited to tell you what it is. I'm excited for the listeners to hear us talking about it. I think we have some interesting points. But our tone of this episode overall is going to be kind of loose and fun, right? Dave, before we before we get into this card that Stan keeps hinting at, let's, can we talk about your AC a little bit? <laughs> How you doing? I'm fine. All right. It, it's conspicuous, Snoop. It's Snoop to Snoop. RR for a goblin rogue. That reads, play with the top card of your library revealed. You may cast goblin spells from the top of your library. So, sleeve up those tar fires. As long as the top card of your library is a goblin card, not necessarily a creature, any goblin card, Conspicuous Snoop has all activated abilities of that card, and the Snoop is a 2-2. Okay, this can do some stuff. This can do some stuff. That's that's a lot of text. For RR, it's a ton of text, right? Yeah. And as soon as this card was spoiled, the combos, they were a-flowing. And we want to talk about basically the combo that has everyone talking since it is a turn three kill in modern on day one. Turn one land. <laughs> Ideally a, a red source. We did it. That's the combo. Turn one mountain. Play it. You need those to cast your spells. It could be an auntie's hovel. Turn two, another red source land, and then you cast the snoop, and then you reveal the top card of your library. Turn three, you play a, another land, and then you have to cast a Bogart David Harbinger, <laughs> which is an old card from Lorowin. It's two and a black for a goblin shaman. When Harbinger comes into play, you may search your library for a goblin card, reveal it, shuffle your library, and put that card on top. Right. Okay. Oh, that, that just works so cleanly. Tricky, tricky. So, what do you guys think you're putting on top with Harbinger? Rebel Master. My favorite card, Kiki Jiki. The Mirror Breaker. That's yes. right. So, here's how the combo works. When you put Kikijiki on top, Snoop now has the ability to tap and make a combo. And you do that repeatedly, making copies of Snoop after Snoop after Snoop after Snoop. But they're all tapped, right? This isn't Deceiver Exarch territory where they're all untapped or whatever. Finally, you have one untapped Snoop after you've created enough bodies to make a copy of the Bogart Harbinger. All right, that card does come in handy. And then you fetch a new card to put on top of your library. Uh, it could be something like Sling Gang Lieutenant, which you may recall from Modern Masters, three and a black for a 1-1 one, one goblin. When Lieutenant enters the battlefield, you make some tokens. That doesn't matter. It also has this line of text, sacrifice a goblin, target player loses one life, and you gain one life. So you sack all of your Snoop copies to the Sling Gang Lieutenant, Snoop, and uh, you just went on the spot. That's right. You can also bring up Mog Fanatic, which has sacrifice to deal one damage to target. And so you can go that way instead if you want to. Then all of your Snoops have their own sack ability. You sack them all, and there they go. Uh, yeah, but it is a turn three, two-card combo for a kill. Now, Stan, are you excited about this card? Yeah, I think this card's pretty interesting. And, you know... People are making like deck lists for it already. Jim Davis has a great article on Cool Stuff Inc. that imagines Snoop in like three different shells. Um, I think there's different ways to add redundancy to a deck like this. Um, you know, I don't think we're going to go into all of the ways that this deck can be built. But the point I'm trying to make is like 
it's flexible. It's probably going to end up in some kind of goblin shell, but there's different types of ways to like to make the kill possible. Yeah, I think you're going to see people playing around with in a goblins deck that's aggressive, having this kill as a kind of like plan B. I think you're going to see it in a maybe like Grixis twin-esque shell with some disruption uh, instead of having a bunch of goblins where you're just kind of all in on the combo, but along with a kind of controlling strategy, I think people are going to try all kinds of things with this combo because it is not many cards, which is the thing that Jim Davis also mentions in a YouTube video he made. Yeah, this is like this is the kind of card people want to play, right? This is the kind of card that people want to mess with and put into some tricky goblin decks, whether or not. I mean, it's, it's not even necessarily needs to be in a combo deck. You know, it's, it's definitely better in a combo deck, but just playing goblins off the top of your library super cool if you have any kind of way to do any kind of filtering or get rid of cards you don't want on the top like you can fetch away stuff that's like a bad draw all that kind of stuff is valuable i think it's probably better in a in a combo type strategy but it's an interesting piece of value for sure sleeve believer heave guys Hmm, i think it's going to be sleeved sleeve I think that I don't know if it's going to be make something that's new and busted or like a new tier deck, but it will see play. Yeah. I mean, I have a little bit of question as to whether this is better than the Grumgully combo or not, which is something that popped up around the time that Eldraine came out, uses a couple of pieces from Modern Horizons and Eldraine to do an infinite damage combo in a goblin shell. You get to use goblin matron and stuff like that. I don't know, that one feels a little more resilient than this combo, but this one is very fast. Turn three is very fast, so we'll see. I mean, this card just dies, though, right? Like, it just it just dies to a lot of stuff. Yep, dies to literally everything. <laughs> a hard wind. Yeah, I, and I do think, I think that's one of the good things about a card like this. Very, very powerful, but really easy to disrupt. And on the one hand, like... There's going to be a bunch of people who will see this card and kind of know that they lose on the spot. But maybe this could, like, if if this deck, whatever deck this ends up in, gets popular, it might encourage people to play a little bit more interactive magic, which, you know, a lot of people tend to enjoy when magic gets more interactive, a little closer to mid-range. Um, yeah, and, like, I wonder if this deck can now play Scheming Symmetry as maybe your turn one way to, like, fetch one of your two combo pieces. And, you know, find redundancy that way because you don't have a lot of ways to kind of like fetch up specific creatures in red, black colors. Stan, before we move on from this card, I just have to say, I love how many times you said Snoop. And I'm imagining now that in this art, he's like looking into the kitchen and wanting to cook with Martha Stewart. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is the type of card, I think, even though there's like this obvious combo for it. This like strikes me as a card that we haven't even seen like the iceberg from the tip. You know what I mean? Like the Kiki Jiki combo is obvious, but I feel like given enough time, someone's going to break it into something even more broken. Could happen. There, There's always a chance that something different is going to appear. For cool. sure. All right. Cards are fun. Let's move on because I think that was one of the big headline cards. Um... I will go to a card. I have a question for you all. Uh, I have two cards I want to talk about really quickly that just got spoiled today. So I'm going to take us off script and get instant reactions, real-time reactions. It's Monday, as as people, listeners may know. And two ghostly two drops were spoiled 
today. Mm-hmm. One is called Ghostly Pilferer. It is a generic and a blue for a spirit rogue 2-1. Whenever Ghostly Pilferer becomes untapped, you may draw two. If you do, draw a card. Whenever an opponent casts a spell from anywhere other than their hand, draw a card. Discard a card. Ghostly Pilferer can't be blocked this turn. And then the other one is called Shacklegeist, and it is also a generic and a blue. A 2-2, flying. Shacklegeist can only block creatures with flying. Tap two, mm-hmm. untap spirit to control. Tap target creature you mm-hmm. don't control. Yeah. All of us have messed with spirits at one time or another. What do we think about these cards for pioneer or modern spirits or, or anything? Let's, you want to start with the, uh, the Shacklegeist? Yeah, because the other one's probably unplayable. Interesting. I wonder if it's the other way, but let's let's uh, let's see. Yeah. So Shacklegeist is kind of like a Nebelgast Herald type of effect, but my issue with it is that you have to tap untapped spirits you control to then tap something down on the other side. Whereas Nebelgast is just like a really easy to enable trigger, like a resolved Nebelgast Herald on the other side of the battlefield in Pioneer Spirits. Sure does stink. To play against if you're in any kind of like aggressive creature deck, I think, because it's just like, because it gives the, you know, there's flash typically there's, there's creatures coming in and tapping your stuff down. We're not expecting it. It's that's kind of a bummer with Shacklegeist. We're at the two draft spot, which if I remember correctly, has some competition, right? Like there's selfless spirit. There's the Supreme pizza Lord. There's rattle chains. That's it. Those three. Yeah. Those are good cards. They're all good cards. I mean, I guess my main thing here is like, is the discount in CMC lowering that curve a little bit worth worth it to get something that might be a little less powerful than Neville Gas Herald? I personally think that the activated ability on Shacklegeist has some, some upside too in the sense that you can use it to tap more than one creature down because it is not a tap ability. It's just an activated ability with a colon. So if you have a huge board of spirits, you have four spirits out, you can tap down two of your opponent's creatures and sneak through. If you have more somehow, you can keep going. So in that, in some ways, you know, there are situations where you get Neville Gas Herald out and that's the only thing that you tap and then you never, you know, you run out of gas or something like that. So I think there are pluses and minuses here. That's a good point. That's a good point. I, I, I think that it's on the bubble. It's, it definitely doesn't scream like immediately insert me into the deck. Um, I think there is there are opportunities for making more creatures that than spirits currently does. Like maybe there are token generators that aren't currently being employed. And like this is a deck that can, I mean, this is a card that can go into a deck that's trying to make even more creatures in the typical spirits deck. So you have some throwaway spirits or spirit tokens that are, aren't quite as valuable. So you're sort of getting rid of their large flying blocker to get tons of damage in or something like that. You know, we talked a little bit about the two CMC slot and spirits, but if Shacklegeist sees play, my guess is that if it replaces anything, it might be just Spectral Sailor. Yeah, Spectral is just one of those things that it, it gives you kind of a little bit of a long game, which is nice. And Spectral Sailor has Flash, if I remember correctly, right? It does. It does. Yeah, which it is does. nice for with nice with Nebelgast Herald. And um, Mausoleum Wanderer, too. There's some synergy there. But Rattle Chains is in there to give everything flash. So, and that's an important aspect to the deck, too. Why don't we talk about another card that might 
replace a little bit of what Spectral Sailor does, and that is Ghostly Pilferer. Now, as Stan noted a minute ago, this is a weird spirit that does not have flying. Which, that should be illegal. Yeah, I think so, too. He wants, it's more of a rogue than a, it's like, you know, it's more of a rogue than a, than a flying spirit, I think, in terms of card design. I just think that if you're an astral projection, you're not held down by gravity. Yeah. No. Yeah. I good. don't think that's a hot take. I mean, even Slimer flies. In 2020, nobody's held down by gravity. We're all flying. Okay. So when you untap it, you mm-hmm. can pay two. So that's often that's that's every every time you untap it you get two so on your turn if you attach with it you can pay two which is not insignificant you can draw a card so it's a good way to if you run out of gas it's cheaper than the spectral sailor activated ability whenever an opponent casts a spell from anywhere other than their hand draw a card that's happening surprisingly more often these days casting spells from the graveyard it's still not ubiquitous but it's certainly something that we're seeing a lot of Kroxa, Euro. Don't forget that it is not just your graveyard, right? It synergizes with other things as well. And we'll talk about that later with a different thing. Mm. But, you know, light up the stage counts as not casting it from your hand. And Cascade counts as not casting it from your hand. Not that I think this might sniff modern. But, <laughs> you know, uh, there's other things that it that it comes from. I do like this kind of loot ability and then occasionally getting this gravy of just like incidental hate that you draw a card off of where if your opponent gets an advantage, you get to keep up. You know, what's funny is it's kind of an, because it has the word spirit. I think people's brainstorming immediately goes to pioneer or modern spirits. But I think this is actually potentially better in like a blue tempo deck where like you can suit this up with like a curious obsession or something like that. And then you can discard maybe a land you don't need or something that you can get back from the graveyard. It can't be blocked. You're getting that damage in. You're drawing a card. You untap with it. You pay some mana. You're drawing another card. And that's advantageous. I don't know if it's outrageous, but it's certainly an opportunity for a blue tempo deck. Advantageous, but not outrageous. That's a new dive down button made on the air for you that's uh that's the slogan from jim right truly advantageous but outrageous yeah that's for her post-rock career when she was in law school shane i like the point you're making that this doesn't have to go into a spirits deck and i'll admit i sort of fell into the trap of thinking like that's where this is gonna want to go i do like the design of this card and the kind of like the balance between you drawing extra cards and then it giving you value for discarding them And when I was thinking about this in spirits, I was thinking like, all you'd really ever want to discard is probably extra lands. Yeah. Then on the other hand, this is kind of a mana sink because like it wants you to have that extra two mana to pay to draw cards when possible. I mean, you could play like Radical Idea. You could play uh, what is it? It's not a Chemist's Insight. You could play those the pseudo flashback cards. In a non-spirit shell, you mean? Yeah, in a non-spirit shell. So when, when I was cynical at the top of this, of this section i think it was because i don't know if it has what it takes to appear in a spirits deck but maybe in something else uh i i I can see that i will say i think the biggest knock on this card is not any of the things that you're talking about but the fact that it does not have flying and why the biggest problem with it not having flying is not that it doesn't have flying it's that it's not buffed by empyrean eagle Mm-hmm. You yeah. follow me? Like yeah. it's only buffed by one of the lords in the deck, 
And so I think that's a little bit of a sketchiness with it, too. All right. So final verdicts on these two. What do you think? I personally think that they are on the bubble of inclusion with spirits. And I think that they're kind of like nice options to have. You know, these cards could have easily cost three and been not even under consideration at all to be in the deck. And so by them costing two, I think that they're in the set, the extended set of spirits playables. I don't know if they're going to get there for sure right now, but um, I think it's nice to have the options. So I want to talk about Terror of the Peaks. Terror of the Peaks. <laughs> so, wow. Uh, Stand three, and delivered. Three, three red red. Dragon flying. Good. Dragon should fly. Uh, spells your opponent's cast that target Terror of the Peaks cost an additional three life to cast. Whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, Terror of the Peaks deals damage equal to that creature's power to any target. So it's also a 5-4. So important notes. Five mana, no haste, no ETB. These are not great, but the the subsequent ETBs are pretty bonkers because you can deal damage equal to a, any creature's power to any target or any creature power that you control to any target. So pop quiz. What card is that? What, what, what card is what? Pandemonium is the name of that card. Whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, tear the peaks deals damage equal to that creature's power to any target. Dave, you know, my favorite thing about these spoiler episodes with you What's is, that? is how, how much you love flexing. I'm like old cards. You're like, that's a, we call that a pandemonium effect. This was a very, <laughs> very fun card when I was a kid though. I mean, it's awesome. Uh, it, the only thing to note is that pandemonium is both players and this one is only yours. Ooh. So it's another one of those ones that used to be a symmetrical effect that they made non-symmetrical. So let's, let's say live in, live in one dream, a dream of this, of this deck is let's say you, you cast this for five. Uh, let's say maybe you're in a green, red ramp deck. You have some mana dorks, get this out on turn four, turn five, you're untapping. You get like a steel leaf champion and a love struck beast down, right? And you're still 10 to the dome, kabloom. But you, have to untap, <laughs> you have to untap with it. Uh, unfortunately, it's also a five, four. So let's talk about the applications here, right? So. I think the card's good. I don't think it's really good. Um, the Punisher effect is life, not mana. Paying three life is like whatever. This doesn't have haste, so you hit it with any number of removal spells, like a Grasp of Darkness, like a Heartless Act. You know, it's it's practically painless because the opponent's only paying three life and like a two mana spell for your five mana card. That's a perfectly fine trade. Do you think that the line of text on Terror is worse than Thunderbreak Regent, which hits opponents for three if it becomes the target of a spell or ability? Only marginally, I would say, by the way. Yeah, super, super marginal. Now, the thing that Thunderbreak Regent has on this card is that Thunderbreak Regent costs four. Four is better than five. Yep. Mm -hmm. So it's like kind of an expensive card to set up. You know, it's just, I mean, it's, it's five and you have to have cards that you were either not casting to the battlefield. You had to have maybe some way to draw into those cards and then cast them again. That's certainly feasible. I mean, you have cards like, let's say, uh, the new Vivian Monsters Advocate, right? Where maybe you are getting to your creatures more quickly, but that's double red. And I believe Vivian's double green. So your mana better be good. And in red, green and pioneer, at least we know it's not. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm not super buying this card. I think it's really cool. I feel like it says a lot about magic design right now that this card is on the bubble in some ways and that it needs even more keywords to make it be able to keep up. Um, I do wonder if there's a chance that this card works as a tutor target for the Vivian that searches, that wishes, which I don't remember the name of that one. Is that Arcbow? Yeah, Arcbow uh, gets from your sideboard. Yeah, that does like the Karn effect. I wonder if if there's a deck where you play, this just becomes part of the toolbox where you have like a bunch of monsters and then this is in the sideboard that you can bring up in an advantageous spot to try to close out a game really fast or something like that. Yeah, like if you're in a board stall and you get this thing onto the board, you're going to finish the game off quickly. Because even if you're not able to attack and you're kind of just staring at each other or there's not really many advantageous attacks on either side of the battlefield, you just keep playing creatures into this. And even if you're not attacking, you're doming them. Yeah, it lets or, you get value get, out of your cards that were doing nothing, essentially, a couple minutes ago. I mean, I, I like it. I'm not creative enough to think of like the best deck that's going to be the highest power level with this. I think, again, it's a it's a bubble card. Um but I think it's cool. I think it's a cool design. I think originally, like my understanding based on some early like leak stuff was that this was like it counted itself on the ETB, which is a whole lot better. Oh, yeah. Because you get a card of value out of that for sure. Yeah. And it's just like it's like a ravenous chupacabra that flies. I think it's just interesting. It's an interesting card. It's an interesting design. You know, I've been casting a lot of five CMC dragons in modern lately. And like so in Ponza, we play Glorybringer. This doesn't even oh, it's look... It's a we now. Yeah, you know, we in the Ponza community. At meeting at the Jimmy's Ponza Grotto. Pals. Yeah, meeting at Jimmy's Grotto. <laughs> yeah, it's like a deep fried calzone. Like, I don't think you would run this over Glorybringer just because that haste and, and the exert ability is so good. Though, yeah. I will say like, man, does this make me miss Obosh? Because if you cast this before Obosh, it's like... And, and then you cast Obosh afterwards. I think that might just be game over because this nugs them for 10. That's funny. Or is it eight? Eight from Ovash, yeah. Still a lot. Still a lot. And then you can attack with this because like, it no longer has summoning sickness since you cast it the turn before Obosh. Yeah. So, you know, maybe in, in a shell like that, it can maybe even sniff modern play. Maybe. Dragons without haste are tough, guys. You know, like that makes them so much better. Okay. Where are we going next? Stan, I think it's your turn. Yeah, what do you like, Stan? Well, I don't actually know if I like this card yet. I want to hear what you guys think, but it's a blue card, so I think it's my responsibility to bring it up. And it's the more cryptic command. Crypticer <laughs> Commander. Sublime Epiphany for UU for an instant. Choose one or more. So you could choose five if you're nasty. Counter target spell and or counter target activated or triggered ability and or return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand and or create a token that's a copy of target creature you control and or target player draws a card. This, this costs four blue blue. What? No, no, no. Before we get into Shane's downerdom, can Stan, can you can you paint me an audio picture of the situation that you're in where you get to leverage all five of these things at once. Sure. So tell me a story. Yeah. So it's turn six. You've got like either Snapcaster Mage on the Snapcaster battlefield. Is what I got on the battlefield. Not helpful, Shane. <laughs> maybe maybe you have a, a token from 
you know, Elspeth conquers death, a human token, I don't know. Your opponent is uh, casting a spell, then they try to uh, crack a land in response to you, you know, trying to bait. I knew it was going to be a land. I knew it was going to be, you're like, I'm going to get somebody's fetch land with this thing. <laughs> also, also your opponent has an ensnaring bridge out and you need to get an extra card in their hand so you can get under that bridge. Well, uh, the bridge won't be there anymore. But you don't want to bounce the bridge because <laughs> you don't want them to attack with their 3-3 three, three gruel spellbreaker. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I like More, it. More, better. I don't think it's gonna. I don't think you're gonna get five modes a lot, but you're we will get being Terror of the Peaks. We, we will get an MTGO screenshot when someone pulls this off. Oh, this is so meme worthy. Yeah, five modes. Didn't Maro say there's like 31 combinations that you can actually accomplish with this card? Something well, it's like, like it's that? like it's five plus four plus three plus two plus one. Correct. Sure. I could be wrong. Uh, I don't remember how factorials work. I don't think that's quite enough but that, that's 15 by the way that's not 31 so okay hold on so you you guys you guys you go with this what do you guys think about this <sighs> so six mana is not crazy and I'll, I'll say why because decks that play crypto command are set up to snap crypto command yeah sure and like i think that's a very real like line of play in snap crypto command decks now until turn six this card is just like either force of negation fodder or nothing. Yeah. Which is like fair, right? Yeah. And then you get to turn turn eight and snap this back. Right. And that, and that's when you're getting all five modes because you're copying. Oh, no, you, you, ex, you exile force of negation cards. So you can't do that. Unless you cast this on six and then snap it back on eight. Um, I, I actually think this is not really going to see a lot of play. I, I kind of bring this card up because I think it's interesting to talk about, but I don't have a lot of faith in it. I don't think it's better than Cryptic. I don't even think it's better than Archmage's Charm. Oh, yeah. No way. And this card, I think this is a card that we're talking about. I heard a phrase the kids use sometimes. It's called fan service. Stan has to talk about this card for the fans. I have to go sweet for the fans, and Shane has to go, this is way too... Can I come in here with some reality? And that's also for the fans. Um, I don't think this card gets there either, unless for some reason you want to put one in a deck as an extra-ish cryptic. This is this card is like the late great Stan Lee making a cameo in every Marvel Cinematic Universe movie ever. This is like when when Tim Allen on Home Improvement brings like the giant Binford tool in, <laughs> and then like and then Al is like. I don't think so, Tim. And Tim, I was like, huh? I want to play Sublime Epiphany. Yeah, it's just use more power. That's it. Listen, nothing will make me happier than casting this card, but my guess is this is like commander slash cube material. Yeah, this looks like a heck of a commander card, honestly. And I, I don't play commander, but seems like everybody's going to want one of these around. All right, so that was fun. We talked about a silly counterspell. Dave, do you have any non-instant speed cards to talk about? Uh, There's so many blue cards on this list, y'all. I was noticing this last night that there are so many cards I want to talk about, and they're all blue. Weird. And some of them go in my favorite deck, maybe. Can we, can we talk about that? Please. I would love to hear. I'd love to learn what your favorite deck is. 
I, I have two, my favorite deck right now, I have two cards I want to talk about as far as my quote unquote favorite deck goes. Back to the two offs. Uh, unreal, David. Unreal. They go in the same thing. So the first card I want to talk about is Heartfire Immolator, which is not a blue card. It's a red card. It costs a generic and a red for a 2-2. It is a human wizard. It is a two drop that has prowess. And it has a sacrifice ability that says red sacrifice Heartfire Immolator. It deals damage equal to its power to target creature or planeswalker. Mm-hmm. Sure. So I will fully admit that I glossed over this card until I saw Ryan Overturf tweeting about it. And his tweet basically said, ignore the cost reducer cards at rare. They're not good enough, but Heartfire Immolator has a chance to be a real one. Made me stop and think for a minute. And I think that, uh, I think it's subtle, but, you know, Prowess is in flux because of the recent change to the companion rules. You know, it was an incredible deck during that last little cycle with Luris. And when you look at Prowess, the list that are doing well now, everything is coming back. Kilnfiend, Steamkin, Abbott of Carol Keep is in some decks. Bedrav is back. All, all the old cards are back. And I think we're back to that state where we're trying to figure out what's the right way to build this shell around two super powerful one drops, Monastery Swift Spear and Soulscar Mage, which are really the core of the deck along with Metamorphose. So like Ryan mentioned on our bonus app about Prowess a couple of months ago, the two drops in Prowess have basically always been bad. You know, Kiln Fiend is powerful, but super vulnerable. Steam Can, it feels a lot like you're kind of running on a, on a hamster wheel when you're playing with that card. And then... Abbot of Carol Keep is just a card I really would like to be able to never have to play again because it feels so bad to never get that card off of Carol Keep. I feel like I never get the card. I never get a chance to do anything with it. I think that what this card is, is access to a reasonable body that ups your curve a little bit, that lets you put pressure on a planeswalker if you need to out of the deck without having to use your lightning bolts and occasionally occasionally kill a really big creature, which this deck also struggles with quite uh, mightily. Sometimes it's just like a good floor, right? Like it's, this, this is just a solid unit to play as a good floor. Like the cards you mentioned, like Abbot of Carol keep potentially bad floor. You have something like runaway Steamkin, high ceiling, really low floor. So this is just something that's consistent probably with potential upside. I think if you look at the deck list and go, man, what do I want for my 12 creatures in this deck? If I'm playing the really aggressive model red version of this deck, you know, your, your ninth through 12 creatures where you kind of like bridge from your early plays to bedlam reveler. It's nice to have a card that has some utility to it. I I'm theorizing here, but, and I'm repeating Ryan Overturf's theorizing here <laughs> i just keep imagining this card if it just said any target and would be one of the best one of the best red cards ever printed yeah because just like you know just uh prowess up a few times manamorphose manamorphose crash through dome you if this could dome i would probably pre-order it but because it only has creatures or walkers i think it needs to prove itself because after playing prowess that deck with only, you know, 8 to 12 creatures or so, so vulnerable to removal that for that uh, cash and ability to be good, you kind of have to have at least one other creature on the board still. And I think 
you know, that deck has had other tools potentially to like sack creatures and like dome people. Like it can play fling for yeah. all I care. I, I think if this makes the cut, it, it might be sideboard tech. You know, maybe like you take out your Bedlam Revelers if you see Graveyard Hate or opponent has like big beefers or planeswalkers that you struggle to kill and like then I can see this being really good in that zone. But the fact that you have to sacrifice it, um, I think is kind of a liability that we're understating right yeah. now. I think I think that's true. I think I'm gonna go back and listen to our bonus app about prowess a little bit because the one thing I'm thinking about here is that, you know, the mono red deck people tend to want to play as only going fast. And I think that after interviewing Ryan about the deck, I can't, even as someone who played it for a long time, I came to realize that there is some game plans with that deck where you want to play it for the long game. And I think that this helps you pivot between a fast plan and a long plan. It does not suck with Luris. Ah, That's a good point. Yeah. That's a great point. We'll have to see if Luris stays around. I haven't noticed any of the prowess decks in modern doing it. Still Lurising, still. Uh, maybe it's some incentive to bring it back. And this is not this is not a, a bash necessarily on Watsy, but so many of the cards in this set, imagine them with Luris, and you're just like, what in the universe? <laughs> yeah. You know, the fact that Emulator Emulator is a wizard, I think is kind of cool. Cause now you have more ways to activate Wizards Lightning. Yep. And as long as we're theory crafting, what if you just throw Boros Reckoners in your deck and then you sack Emulator to to hit Reckoner and then redirect that damage to opponent's face? I, I love it. I think this is an interesting thing that I was thinking about for um for Pioneer for sure. Reckoner, like, really? The Reckoner combo? No, Wizards Lightning. Not the not the not the real breakthrough stuff that you came up with. Just the Wizards, the Wizards Lightning. I was like, this could be a good way to make that an an include in a, the mono red, a more comfortable include in a prowessy version of that deck. Now, mm-hmm. anyway, we spent a lot of time on that card. I want to talk for a minute about my other prowess friend. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, because because I want to talk about this one too. Okay, so like I said, Stan wanted to know what my favorite deck is. I think really my favorite deck right now is Prowess. I have the most fun playing it when I have a chance to. Uh, I think it has different ways to build. I think it's like the spiritual child of Phoenix in some ways, which was a deck that I that I enjoyed a lot. Of course, the card I want to talk about is of course one of the cards that Ryan Overture said to ignore in the tweet I referred to earlier, and that card is Stormwing Entity, which costs three generic blue-blue. It is an elemental. This spell costs two U to uh, less to cast if you cast an instant or sorcery spell this turn. Flying, Prowess. When Stormwing Entity enters the battlefield, scry two, and it is a 3-3. So I think this card is awesome-ish. Right. You know, I had to read it like three times before it clicked that if you cast a spell, this is a two drop. Yes. That's, I think that's the headline. Yes. This is a two mana, three, three flyer with prowess. When it enters, it's Christ two. You have to do a little bit of work, but I think doing that work in modern especially is going to be really easy. Yeah. What I thought about when I read this card was, hi, we took away your broken bird. How about this bird instead? It's a backup bird. It's a backup bird because it still pairs with the cards that made Arclight Phoenix good. Gutshot, Metamorphose, Lava Dart are all things in modern that make me think you can make this go. And those are all things that let you cast this on turn two. Mm-hmm. And 
if you have your turn one prowess creature, turn two Manamorphose, cast this, at least you get like a prowess trigger and a body for that first creature. Yeah. Now it does die to Bolt. Of course it dies to Path, doesn't die to Fatal Push. But um, that Scry 2 uh, on Enter the Battlefield is a nice fallback for when you play this card into removal. You get a little bit out of it still. Yeah, I mean, Scry 2 is like what, like draw 0.8 cards? Pretty much. You have a decent shot of knowing you're going to draw action next turn. <sighs> what, what's a worse top deck? This or Chandra's Incinerator, which we talked about last week, that six mana, six, six trampler that gets cheaper for every amount of non-combat damage you dealt to opponent. I think Chandra's Incinerator is far, far worse than this card. Yeah, because of the decks it goes in. Yeah, I don't even know if this one is necessarily going to make the cut, but I think this is a much more, a card with a lot more potential than the Immolator. Okay, stay with me here. Blue Prowess, you'd probably put this in like some kind of is it Prowess deck, right? So like this is competing with Storm Chaser Mage and maybe like uh, the Sprite Dragon. Two cards that have haste. Yeah. And Prowess, like it wants to go fast. It wants to be aggressive. I worry that not having haste on here is actually a setback for the decks that this wants to be in. And whether or not it's playable kind of come down to like whether the Scry 2 is good enough and consistent enough to overcome the lack of speed on this creature. Yeah, and I don't even know if I think that this is like a four of. You know what I mean? I feel like this is a a good card that maybe you run as a two of, where sometimes you get to cast it early. Other times, you know, you set yourself up to just play it late because it's a bit of a stall breaker, kind of like the dragon we were just talking about, where because it has flying, it can fly over a complicated board deal some damage, deal the last points. You can protect it a little bit and kind of go from there. Shane, would you ever cast this card? Sure. I, I think that it seems pretty good, right? Like one in the blue for a 3-3 three, three flying prowess is great. But like you said, it has no haste. So our closest comparison is probably something like Storm Chaser Mage. But that's a 1-3, which certainly sucks on the stat line compared to to storming entity here i will say when i've been playing those blue red prowess decks man i have hated storm chaser mage hated it i know stan's looking at me with a shocked face it's better than ever <laughs> i mean isn't isn't sprite dragon just better than both of these cards probably yes yeah for sure i, I agree with that so this is like where do you go with cards again with the cards that are beyond creatures one through 12 because if you're playing blue red prowess it's soul scar swift spear sprite dragon and then wh where do you go after that? Could be this, could be Storm Chaser. Manamorphose, 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 Gutshot, Mutagenic Growth, Swing for 16? Yep, perfect. Yeah, it has a shot, it has an outside shot. It's a cool card. I have a really hard time with cost reduction cards like this because you, have to com you pretty much have to compare them to cards that stand on their own without having to be set up, right? And so it's, it's, it's always hard to say, do I, is this card worth setting up? And I think in this case, Stan pointed out a really good point, which is it doesn't have haste. So is this in an aggressive, is it deck or is it in a longer grindier base deck that just kind of wants this as some kind of burst finisher? I don't know what that would be, or sort of just like sandbagging cantrips or something like that. And you just burst finish them. It's also prowess. That deck is also prowess. It's just the other face of prowess. I think. Sure. Makes sense. I will say whether or not either of, these cards that Dave brought up see play. I'm thrilled that Watsy reversed course on their decision to stop printing prowess cards. 
which was something that they kind of suggested that they were like basically saying that they're not interested in doing prowess anymore. And now we have what two or three new prowess cards in the set. I'm just thrilled to see that ability. It's one of my favorite abilities on a on a creature. So thank you. They even brought back Jeskai Elder. Yeah. Why not? Yeah, I definitely didn't think we would see Prowess come back. And I'm stoked that there's one two drop that seems like it might, might have a chance at getting there. Of course, no shot we would see a one drop with another one drop with Prowess, but yeah, we'll see. I want to talk about a card that has two colors that we have not talked about this week. Conclave Benter. Green and a white. This is like our signpost uncommon for limited. That's a centaur cleric creature for a 2-2. If one or more plus one plus one counters, we put on a creature you control. That many plus one plus one plus one counters are put on that creature instead. Sounds familiar. There's some additional text here. When Conclave Mentor dies, you gain life equal to its power. So we have a green and a white winding constrictor effect. It's not quite, it's a 2-2, not a 2-3. So yeah, it makes a hardened scales type deck have the redundancy it needs to not be built around green-black. And green-black is certainly a strong color combination pioneer right now uh, due to the mana and spells like Fatal Push, Thoughtseize, removal options like Abrupt Decay are, are still super strong and important to have access to. But this kind of opens up an option for a leaner and more consistent like Heliod scales deck, I think. Like it's 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 probably a consistent Heliod Ballista enabler. I can see uh, a deck that's that's built around hardened scales, built around Clanclave Mentor, and you have your your eight scales effects and a bunch of creatures that take advantage of counters. Like we have all the artifacts are still totally usable in this. We have Heliod and we have some uh, there, there's plenty of white cards that put tokens on things and put counters on things rather. So why not? I love it. This I and Basri Cat sign me up. It. <laughs> yeah, why not? I mean, I there's, there's I think that this card is. I mean, don't, don't you think there's a chance that it just goes into like uh, like an Abzan kind of constrictor build potentially, potentially for sure. I mean, you have tr- you have Triome. I mean, there's Triome. I mean, I mean, white black already has good mana, so you've got. You've got white black, you've got green black. Green black has good mana too. Yeah. So you have access to that mana. I am curious if I, I here's what I think will happen. I think people will stretch into Obzon and then maybe just realize it's better to have it be green white and and go from there. The green white mana is not amazing. I, I think back to like that monastery mentor green white deck that we were tinkering with, like in our like solo brew episode. And it certainly wasn't great. So that's an issue. So who knows? It might be maybe it's just like a splash, like I'm splashing this for Heliod and for Conclave Mentor, but you really want to have this down early. But if you have Winding Constrictor, it's not like, you know, you're not relying on this on on two. You have your Hardened Scales, you have your Winding Constrictor, you have this as an additional uh, piece of Scales tech. Having both of them down would be awesome. So like when you have a scales down and a winding constrictor down, that's great. If you have conclave mentor down and winding constrictor down, sure, why not? Seems good. Yeah, this card seems like a totally playable, gonna be in some good deck. Enable a couple of different things. It seems it does seem like an excellent Heliod enabler after the couple of you know rounds I've played with that deck for our, our dive down that we did. Always looking for extra ways to sneak an extra counter onto your ballista, and this seems like a good one. Yeah. It's 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 honestly not too much to talk about. It's just going to be we we know this type of effect how it works. It's just going to be our do existing decks try to slot it in? Do new decks get created around it? We'll see. 
I think it's a easy, cool card to call out. This is a card that's hard for me to assess. I'm buying what you're selling, though. And like having played a little bit of Heliod and seeing how powerful like ways to make plus one, plus one counters easier to accrue, I think this has uh, the stuff to, you know, not feel embarrassed testing it, which is always my bare minimum, of course. <laughs> Will I be embarrassed? Can I uh, steal a trick from Dave's repertoire and throw uh, two cards that are, in my opinion, related? Man, you're, you guys are breaking all the rules. <laughs> all right. We got a couple of elves in this set, and I, I kind of want to talk about them together just because the reasons I find them interesting are related. So the first one is Lanawar Visionary. To an agreeing for an elf druid, when it enters the battlefield, draw a card. It also taps to add green, and it is a 2-2. My co-hosts, not impressed with this card. I mean, the, the card's fine. It's just like the most boring design. It's just like the, the some, some, some of the most straightforward, on-the-nose card design I can think of. I mean, it's kind of like that that elf that makes three mana, that costs three mana, and it was a Lenor three, three. tribe? Yeah. So here's the thing about Visionary. And, and you know what? How about I just throw out that other card, and we can talk about them together. The other one is Fierce Empath. This is a reprint, but it's being introduced to both Modern and Pioneer. Um, Two and a green for an elf. When an empath enters the battlefield, you may search your library for a creature with CMC 6 or greater. Reveal that creature, put it in your hand, shuffle your library. Empath is a 1-1. Initial reactions to that card? Powerful. Harbinger for big cards, kind of. Uh, I mean, we'll see. It's like, it's, it's one of the cards that I, I've looked at this card. I've looked at all the cards in the set multiple times, right? And it has never stuck out to me. So cl- clearly I'm, I'm either not hot on it or I'm overlooking something. Probably the latter. Well, okay. So here, here's why both of them jumped out to me. Three CMC is actually really important for elves decks because your line of play is often turn one mana dork, turn two, a really important three CMC card, whether it's Azuri, maybe it's Elvish Archdruid. You know, in some cases, you might play like Steel Leaf Champion. But at that 3CMC spot, you kind of want to do something that either produces mana, if it's Archdruid, or makes your board stronger, if it's Azuri or Steel Leaf. Okay? And the thing that I like about the first one um, that draws you a card and adds mana is that, A, it replaces itself which is an effect that's like kind of rare in elves. You sort of have to play visionary, which is a weak card. That's the one in a green when it enters, it draws a card, Mm -hmm. but it also helps your mana engine. So it's kind of doing like a very, very bad impression of Elvish Archdruid for that mana cost by only giving you one extra mana, but it is still replacing itself, which like in a critical mass deck like elves is, being able to get to your deck to find more bodies to barf out on turn three or four, I think is like a really good effect for a very linear strategy. Mm-hmm. Empath, on the other hand, has a lot of really powerful six CMC and above cards to find in modern. You know, Crater Hoof Behemoth is the obvious one that actually sees play in, in modern elves sometimes. And like, it's not unusual to be able to generate the mana you need on turn three or four to get that six CMC spell out. Yep. And like the elves decks, they've kind of been struggling a little bit ever since Renin six and plague engineer came out and having these new tools that like 
either give them a big game in the form of empath finding like this big beefer or potentially like some long game in the form of this, you know, cantripping elf. Like, I think it's interesting to test around with this deck that has been struggling lately. I also think that one thing that's interesting is the other alternative to creator of behemoth is decimator of the provinces which is sort of like a reprint of Crater Hoof Behemoth in some ways from, uh, it's from, what was it called? Eldritch Moon. And the reason I bring up Decimator is that it has Emerge. And so if you have a board with a couple of Elvish Visionaries on it, for example, or not Elvish Visionaries, uh, Lanamar Visionaries, which have that extra CMC, you can sacrifice them to the Emerge cost to kind of ramp this thing out super fast after you get in a situation where you get it, you know, so it's possible. I imagine there is some kind of line that's possible without too much work. That's fierce empath, go get your decimator, drop it, emerge it, attack with it kind of early in the game. That's a cool brainstorm. That is a cool brainstorm. I'll read decimator. I had to look it up. It's a 10 mana, seven, seven trample haste with emerge six green, 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 when you cast Decimator, creatures you control get plus two, plus two, and gain trample. So it's an anthem effect that also makes a big hit. And it checks itself. So when you cast Decimator, I guess it swings for nine on that first turn. Yeah. So you can just barf out all those creatures you were talking about. You know, the tokens don't help you with the emerge cost, but everything else does. And you just kind of go from there. Yeah. So... I guess the reason I bring them up is because 3CMC is important for the Elves decks, and uh, it's cool that there's some new tech. I think it's legit. These are both good cards. The the Visionary I wasn't seeing, but definitely Empath, but I, I think it makes sense what you what you said. Shane, why There's so many blue cards left. Shane, why don't you go again? There's so many blue cards. Okay, I'm going to talk about... I'm going to talk about one of my favorite blue cards on this <laughs> list of like eight blue cards, okay? <laughs> you can, You can pick something else if you want. No, I want to talk about this because it's interesting. <laughs> okay. Lofty Denial. Mm. One in the blue instant counter target spell, unless it's a p- controller pays one. So you got your, your little force spike there. Uh, but if you control a creature with flying, counter that spell, unless it's controller pays four instead. So yeah, this is a conditional counter spell that will work in flyers decks, obviously. And it's a nice big tax of four mana. So it's kind of like a a better mana leak that relies on you having a creature with flying. In Pioneer, we do not have access to mana leak. So what the best thing we have is like a quench, for instance, correct? Uh, I think you're thinking a mystical dispute. Oh, yeah. Well, mystical dispute is very good. Yes. Um, But in terms of a general counter spell, it doesn't only counter blue spells. Like this is a little bit better. Uh on rate if you have a flyer but there's a lot of drawbacks here yeah well not if you put it in the right deck i mean sure but dave you have you had some thoughts on this that i agree with and i think that you're going to be better at explaining them than me okay because you you cast a lot more counter spells than i do yeah i was going to say shane how many have you cast dave uh if you're, if you're I, such a good control mage name every spell you've ever countered oh so many a lot of, lot of uh, swords of plowshares. Abrupt decay. Supreme verdict. Yeah. <laughs> I figured it out. That's from my spell queller days. Six mana Chandra. Um, look, I love this design space. I think that doing these kind of like sort of tribal-esque or restriction-heavy powerful cards 
that have fallback options is a good thing for magic in general. But I think specifically it's a good thing for Pioneer because Pioneer is kind of emerging to be this format. I've talked about it a bunch of times where cards that have drawbacks right now are good enough to have decks be built around them, right? And so I'm thinking about cards, like the card that I go back to all the time is the one from uh, that was in Feather for a while that does two damage to one of your creatures and four damage to one of their creatures for Reckless mm-hmm. Rage. Yeah. Use the card. Like that kind of vibe I think is interesting. And to see it come out in a counterspell I think is really good as well. So I, I think that this is something that can help push novel decks uh, apart from each other because they get a good bonus for hewing to certain kind of like deck building constraints. Um, but I think that this particular card has some problems as usual going toe to toe with mystical dispute and also sensor actually is a pretty big overlap with this card as yes. well because one goes down to one CMC and the other one draws you a card as a fallback. And I think that the space in between those two things is kind of tough. I think that this has no shot in modern, right? You're playing Mana League over this card 10 out of 10 times. It's not even close because it's always a three. Um, The upside is not really worth it. But I think that, you know, it's better than Mana League when you have a flyer. I do think I'm not sure what the rules are when this is on the stack and somebody kills your only flyer. Like what happens then? Does this revert to being a force spike? I think it does revert to being a force spike which is kind of a drag, but, um, you know, I really, really want to like this card, but I don't think it's good enough to get there ultimately, mostly because Bant spirit specifically already has so many good options to play with. I just don't think this is going to make the cut for pioneer, but Stan, what do you think? Well, you know, I often complain that pioneer does not have good counter spells and man, is a great card. Like it's a card that is repeatedly impressed me in modern and if you can make this a better mana leak i think this has pioneer chops i agree with your point that like spirits is a pretty tuned deck and the threshold for getting interactive cards in that deck is pretty high maybe this doesn't go in spirits maybe this goes into whatever deck you're putting that like blue two mana prowess bird into and playing like a slower mid-range blue red control strategy with like Sprite Dragons, and Storm Chaser Mages. Sure. So seeing new counterspells that do impressions of older, better counterspells, I think is interesting for me just because like Pioneer needs more interaction. And I'm willing to give this some benefit of the doubt. Here's my issue kind of fundamentally is I think this is a this is a card without a deck. And I think, I think Stan, like you kind of mentioned, like, let's say we had some controlling long game fl- flying prowess deck, but you don't have enough creatures to turn this on enough, right? Like you don't have enough of a collective mass of flyers to make this really good. In spirits, you don't really want to be holding up two mana mm-hmm. necessarily. I mean, there are lots of options with, with flash. I mean, now that I'm saying that it's like, well, what if I have one of my flash Lords down or I am holding a creature with flash and they don't cast something into my lofty, lofty denial. And then the end of turn, I just flash in my creature. That's certainly an option there. But I think that when you're playing to the board, you want something like mystical dispute, like Dave mentioned, just because the mana tempo advantages is, is so strong there versus like holding up a mana leak 
which is not necessarily a, a strong spell for an aggressive creature deck. That's something that you'd want to play in more of a controlling deck. So I don't know if this, this just doesn't check enough boxes for enough decks to really have a home, but four mana is a really big tax. I wouldn't be surprised to see people at least testing this out and maybe it sticks, maybe it doesn't. Can we talk about another counter spell really quick? Oh, I love them. Love them. All right. Miscast costs a single blue. It's an instant counter target, instant or sorcery spell, unless it's controller pays three. So it's another cheap mana leak effect. Yeah. It's just like the card we talked about. Pretty much very close, right? Um, I think the trick with this card looks super powerful at first glance, but I think when you look a little bit closer, I don't think it's going to get there. Okay, so if you look at this compared to to Dispel, which is a hard counter for an instant, you know, this looks pretty good because this also gets sorceries. But I think the truth is this card is just worse than Spell Pierce in almost all applications because it cannot get other non-creature spells like Planeswalkers, which is huge. Or Fires of Invention. Right, in enchantments. Or, you know, I've gotten Engineered Explosives, with with spell pierce before and like weird things like that that you really do not want to have come on the board the the advantage of spell pierce is always about the either making your opponent play off curve or blowing them out when they try to stick something on curve right like so thinking back to when i was playing infect and modern when your opponent is trying to slam down that liliana on three and you blow them out with the spell pierce you're that's just like oh sweet like i just won the game or if they have to hold it up and not cast it on three, you're also winning because you're having the tempo advantage. And you don't really get that advantage with this because you're not, like you said, you're not able to take you're not able to take them off of anything besides instant or sorceries. Yeah. And the truth is, wanting to mana leak a sorcery will come up so much less than you think it will. There are not that many sorceries that people play, really. This is worse than dive down. <laughs> wow, this guy with a take. I think you're using the spell in limited to protect your creatures from removal spells. Yeah. And I think that's it. Yeah. I mean, I kind of feel like this is anti counter. This will end up being sideboard counter anti counter material. Once mystical dispute is out of standard. Like that's what I think this card is. So I'm interested in hearing your guys response to this because I'm, I'm not the control mage here. Right. But I feel like you only have so many slots in your sideboard and maybe 15 total. Maybe maybe your main deck for something like this, right? Like your conditional counter spells. And I feel like you either need to be painting with the broadest brush or the most powerful one. So like in terms of, let's say, isolated power, you have Mystical Dispute. Or, you know, that's, that's super efficient, anti-blue. Or broad brush, you might have, you know, any number of random counter spells. That's like, you know, from, from a sensor to... This, I can't even think of a counter spell. This is how bad I am at, at playing counter magic. It's spell pierce is the card that you're thinking about. Sure. So that's why I don't, I don't know like how you make room for a card like this, where it's like, what are you, what are you counter teching against? Like, what are you planning to face down where it's like, yeah, I really need my miscast in the sideboard. Yeah, totally agree. I think it's a splashy one mana spell that I don't think will get there. I'll be happy to play it if it does, but I don't think it will. Maybe in Pioneer you can use this against Lotus Breach to take care of one of their cards that untaps lands. I don't know. <laughs> oh, good point. Yeah, maybe. 
I, is this even better than that Theros one mana counter spell that turns like a spell into a two two bird? Swan Song. Yeah. No, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, Swan Song has really specific applications, but I I don't think this gets there either. Right. That, that's my point. Like, yeah, this is just worse than like so many other one mana counter spells. Uh, that got it. Not interested. Onward. Heave. Heave. Shane, you wanna you wanna give us another one that we can respond to let's let's go back to non-blue cards i'm i'm not i'm not hot on this but i think that certain mages are it's liliana waker of the dead two generic black black planeswalker loyalty four so her plus one reads each player discards a card each opponent who can't loses three life minus three target creature gets minus x minus x until end of turn where x is the number of cards in your graveyard her minus seven reads you get an emblem with at the beginning of your at the beginning of combat on your turn, put target creature card from a graveyard onto the battlefield under your control, it gains haste. Not a bad ultimate. Yeah. Get there pretty quickly. So it's easy to compare this, I think, to the three mana Liliana, where the plus one is a discard, simultaneous discard, the minus three is some kind of targeted removal or in the fact of Liliana of the Veil, it's uh, just an edict effect, and the ultimate does cool stuff. Um, I think that it's an interesting card to balance around four mana, right? Like a a four mana Planeswalker is an interesting design space at this point, right? Because we have seen so many powerful three mana walkers get printed. Like we even have Liliana the Last Hope in Pioneer right now. We've seen plenty of interesting role players and powerful cards like Teferi three, like uh, the three mana Nissa that makes creatures and gives counters. There's all sorts of three mana role players. There's extremely powerful five mana walkers that can take over a game fairly quickly, but four mana is kind of that weird wiggle room. Like how much can you give me for four mana and it better be good. And I think that this one is pretty good. And I think that it's going to slot pretty nicely in, in like Pioneer Saltide Delirium because it's a flexible walker where it has that that discard effect that you often might even want in your own strategy where you're putting a card you want into the graveyard and also continuing to probably shred your opponent's hand. Um, if there's a challenging creature on the other side of the battlefield, you're putting cards into your graveyard already just with the, day that, the way the deck functions. So you're probably just going to have a straight up uh, Doomblade type effect. The ultimates, if you get there, it's going to be really good because you're going to have plenty of creatures in your graveyard from your like self-building effects and your creatures dying. So why not? Yeah. I mean, I think this is the obvious home for that card. It's like, put it with Kroxa, put it with Uro, build a deck around it, right? Like w- around one of those two branches, basically. Um, I think that is a reasonably powered down facsimile of Liliana of the Veil. And yeah, it's like fixed for Pioneer LOTV. Yeah, and Pioneer doesn't really, you know, off the top of my head, ha- have a good, like, mono black walker that is in this kind of grind category. And so here it is. Reasonable casting cost, reasonable abilities, uh, synergize with the plus one, and you will have a deck. For sure. I think this is the kind of card also that you can get to the ultimate you know, fairly often. It's like you know, people who play Liliana the Veil will get to her ultimate 
fairly often. And with this card, you know, you either have blockers down, you have removal to protect her and the ultimate's really good. Like I, I would rather have this ultimate than Liliana of the Veil oftentimes, I imagine, because you know, you're going to get a lot of creatures recurring from the graveyard and it's going to be really hard for your opponent to stop that. Yeah. Yeah. You get to put the same one back over and over again if you want. If they kill it, yeah. bring it back. I actually have a lot to say about this card. Okay. I want to hear it. So this is our safe space to kind of dream big about things that are kind of, you know, outrageous and it may never come to fruition, but let's let our imaginations wander, right? Mm-hmm. For, for one, I do like that this makes Liliana's triumph better, right? Like one in a black instant, each opponent sacks a creature. If you control a Lily Planeswalker, each opponent also discards a card. We also have other really good Liliana cards at three mana. We mentioned Last Hope, but even like the one from Origins, that's a two, three lifelinker. And then when she flips, she pluses to make opponents discard uh, and she minuses for recursion. I don't know. Maybe like we can have some kind of mono black control that's running two to three different types of Liliana cards has a bunch of removal and then I'll just like grind to finish because either this or uh, Liliana last hope have like game ending devastating uh, ultimates. Mm-hmm. Heck maybe we can even play a card that only appears in like those dual decks, which is Liliana scrounger tuna black for a three, two at your end step. If you control, if, if a creature died this turn, you may put a loyalty counter on a Lily planeswalker you control. So like, that coupled with like a bunch of removal spells i don't know dare to dream wow throwing gary why not liliana tribal happening right in front of us who said you didn't brew stan <laughs> called yourself a filthy nutdecker last week this week you're dreaming big yeah i i hope dan hears this and maybe he'll have me on the pod <laughs> i mean what's what's good about this walker is much like let's say another four mana pioneer staple in in chandra it's like it everything it does is fine like it's 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 you have to have something in your graveyard for the removal to work but you're going to in the decks that's going in unfortunately it means you have to probably be, be playing a deck that is filling the graveyard so unlike in modern where you're going to have a number of cards in your graveyard right away, Pioneer doesn't have fetch lands, doesn't have a lot of great cheap cantrips. So you're going to be, have to be playing stuff like Grizzly Salvage or a Seder Wayfinder because you want that graveyard full of stuff. In Saltide Delirium, that's happening anyway. So this, this is kind of a tailor-made card for Saltide Delirium. So it's almost certainly going to see play. There's planeswalkers that are definitely on the bubble for that deck that they're going to be fine removing and inserting this card i think it's just a shoe in um i like that it doesn't seem busted it just seems really synergistic and that's kind of what this deck is it's just a pile of synergistic good cards besides uro which is bonkers but um, broadly i think that it's going to be a, a good pioneer role player can i tell you something i am a little more at ease with this card being playable immediately than teferi and Teferi is supposed yeah. to be like the marquee card of the set. So I'm sure it has a home somewhere, but this makes a lot of sense to me. I like what I'm supposed to do with this card. Yeah. Which is mono black Liliana tribal. Sure. Or what Shane's just said. Oh, right. <laughs> Onward. Stan, what do you want to talk about next? Colossal Dreadmaw. No. Ooh. <laughs> Dave, hear me <laughs> out. A spicy meatball. Four, six, six for a dinosaur trample 
six six. Four green green. So so six mana six six. That's on rate. Yeah, four green green. Sorry, G's look like sixes to me. I don't know. I think this might be top five best cards in the set. <laughs> Give it double strike. Get that trample through. I like it. All right. Can I? I, I want to talk about another blue card. No. It's contentious. This could be good radio. Frantic inventory. One in a blue instant draw card, then draw cards equal to the number of cards named frantic inventory in your graveyard. And uh, players who've been playing Magic for a long time, maybe people who are familiar with Popper's metagame, may recognize this as a, a pseudo reprint of accumulated knowledge, which is a very similar effect, except knowledge counts cards named accumulated knowledge in both players' graveyards. Whereas frantic inventory only rewards you for having frantic inventories in your graveyard. So I've personally never played with knowledge. I do know that it's like kind of a beloved card. When this when this one was spoiled, people did rejoice. For sure. I mean, big like feelings, yeah. you know, nostalgia feelings popping out, which is something they're very good at in in uh, magic design these days. I, I guess my personal assessment here is that like the delta between this and accumulated knowledge is pretty narrow, right? You, you kind of have to be lucky for your opponent to like have the knowledges in, in their deck if you're playing that in pop or whatever. So if this doesn't make the cut here, I just don't think knowledge ever will make the cut in modern or pioneer. And I kind of love this as sort of like testing the waters for whether or not an effect like that is playable in our favorite formats. Yeah, I just don't think that they're ever going to print. Like, knowledge is never going to end up in modern or pioneer because mostly because of the symmetrical design, which is something they just avoid these days if they can, because people forget to count their opponents' graveyards. Um, so, I think this card is interesting. I really loved playing accumulated knowledge back in the day, but the secret about accumulated knowledge is that it's really just okay until you play the third one. Right. So if you are getting cards in your graveyard or cantripping a lot and doing some kind of thing where you have a lot of kind of like spells going on and you're just kind of like cantripping, this is fine because it grows or could be fine because it grows. But you got to get to that third one because otherwise you end up just playing a two mana divination with, a you know, paying off kind of big to pay to get a two mana divination. And that's that's not really a great payoff when it really comes down to it. I mean, over the weekend, for example, I was playing a bunch of, of one mind decks in modern, trying to catch up with some of the stuff that I was really high on from Akoria. And like even a one mana divination, if it costs you too much in setup, is not that is not really that great of a payoff in that format. So, you know, when I think about it. Since it's an instant, since the CMC is reasonable, I start to wonder if there's a if there's a chance that this is going to end up in some kind of like pioneer is it Phoenix kind of build because it draws you cards and it gives you a spell trigger and it, it's an instant so you can have some flexibility with it. And potentially it's okay to discard with like your is it charm effects in, yep. in Phoenix. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You get a payoff from is it charm and all that kind of stuff. So that's the kind of space that I feel like this could work. It's like a blue red spells card that has a little bit of graveyard payoff, but it's not busted until you pay two for three cards. That makes sense. It's just one of those cards like I, I felt like I'd seen three versions of like, you know, take inventory was a sorcery speed, I think, in Eldritch Moon at the same mana cost. Yep. And I didn't to just like not realize that this kind of effect has never been legal in modern. And of course, parent pioneer. 
it seems like, I mean, do you think that this has some kind of home in like a turbo Xeroxy blue based deck, Dave, or do you just think it's like the floor is, is not, the floor is too low. Like you have to work to make it decent. I mean, if you think Phoenix is a turbo Xerox deck in pioneer, then maybe, I mean, but this, this card has to compete with, uh, with treasure cruise in that deck. You know what I mean? Which is like, I don't know if there's room for them to live together, if there's enough space in the shell. So Mm -hmm. I, I feel like this card, I don't see the immediate home for it in either format, but, uh, thanks for the nostalgia, uh, wizards. Stan, what do you think? Uh, I'm a wait and see person. I mean, it takes a lot of work. I I feel like I would almost rather try testing. See the truth. Yeah. Which is a card I really want to talk about, but you know what? Not going to talk about it. What? I thought we talked about it last week, but we didn't. We did not. Stan, do you want to talk about see the truth quickly or one in a blue for a sorcery? Look at the top three cards of your library. Put one of those cards into your hand and the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. If this spell was cast from anywhere other than your hand, put each of those cards into your hand instead. So it's a two mana draw three is the ceiling or a two mana anticipate is the floor. Sorceries we'd anticipate. Yes. Which is really bad. Really, really bad. Yeah. I do think that this is like worth testing more than not accumulated knowledge. Just because like in modern in particular... First, the, you don't need multiple copies of this card to be good. You just need this and like one other enabler to make this good. And in modern, we have a lot of those enablers. Snapcaster Mage is the obvious one. Three mana Chandra, Accolade of Flame, I think is a cool one. Four mana Chandra, when she ticks up, puts a card into exile. Yeah. Dave, you sort of teased this earlier, but Light of the Stage will make this draw three. Uh, Cascade, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Bloodbraid Elf. Mission Briefing. <laughs> time yeah mission briefing and blood blood braid elf are both interesting ones too teamers see the truth i like it yeah i really really want this card to be good because i think it's interesting but i just don't know guys the floor is so bad the floor sucks also with teferi time reveler ticking up this does become instant speed problem solved i mean that's that's definitely make your own Better than anticipate potentially. Make your own anticipate. Yeah. Perfect. With Teferi three. I really thought that anticipate was going to be good when it came yeah, out. Right? It was kind of before I totally had a good, but the the medium mediocre handle that I have on the dynamics of eternal formats now, and I was like, this is so close to impulse. It's got to be good. Uh no. Well, it's no telling time, in my opinion. Yeah. All right, y'all. We've got like what fifteen minutes left so i want to i want to hit some more fringy cards potential cards subira tilzidi caravaner two it in red legendary creature human shaman for a two three she has haste her she has two abilities she can pay one generic mana another target creature with power two or less can't be blocked this turn one in a red and tap her and discard your hand until end of turn. Whenever a creature you control with power two or less deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. So I don't hate this. I don't hate it. I I, I think what's really interesting is like so you sort of immediately think about well, power two or less. That's not that great. You can make like a Goblin Rebel Master or a Legion War Boss unblockable before moving to combat. That certainly doesn't stink. I think that's certainly cool. Like I'm thinking about this as Pioneer power level primarily. So you put this in, 
you know, a couple of perhaps in your pioneer red deck, you are making your rebel master, your war boss unblockable. They get a lot of triggers off of the other tokens there. That's really good. Cause that's kind of one of the issues sometimes is you just can't really attack with a rebel master because it only has two toughness. And so anything that blocks it is just going to uh, kill it, but making it unblockable is certainly a way to fireball your opponent pretty effectively. I don't love the one in the red and the tap ability. Um, it might be interesting for some not very popular or as yet unseen like red token type synergies like goblin tokens or something like that. It's rough that she has to tap as well. I think it has potential, but it's not really like your three drop slot in your red decks is not pretty packed right now. Like if it's not something that you're like, well, I wish I had more good three drops to play. You know, you, you have your bone crusher giant, you have your rebel masters, you might have some Legion war boss. I don't really know. I mean, I think this plus the goblins is a great combo that you outlined. So I, I have some plus ones to add to that for you. Hopefully it doesn't get you over two power so you can still be unblockable. But, um, (laughs) yeah, other than that, it feels a little bit like, you know, on the discard your hand thing, I'd really probably rather just play Bomat courier than this card anyway because you know cheap synergy blah 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 i i think they're different they are very different i'm kind of like a fake yeah i see what you're saying but like bomat takes a little bit of work this takes a little bit of work but bomat is just like bomat just dies to like a light breeze yeah and there are times where beautiful filigrees fall off Right, and there are times when you just can't attack with a Bomat because opponent played a 1-2. Yeah. (laughs) They played an Arboreal Glazer or whatever. And, like, this, if anything, just makes your Bomats better. Yeah, that's true. You could play it with them, and then they can attack. Shane, I like what you're you're saying with uh, the Goblins. I can also maybe see this as, like, a tool for a Chonky Red or even a more lower-to-the-ground Prowess-style Red deck that kind of... Uh, tops off at this where you make your creatures unblockable before you start to like storm off with all of your spells. Yeah. My primary issue is just that it doesn't do enough on its own. Like this is not like a three drop you want to put onto an empty board necessarily. I mean, it does have haste. That's cool, but it's not great for the rate. So we'll see. Part of me, like this is a total, total long shot, but like, Maybe this is sideboard tech for Insoul to make like some of your unblockable creatures, like your uh, Ginger Brute, start netting you cards. Makes your uh, Bowmat a little better, as I mentioned. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it has a lot of utility, so I can see this card being tested a bunch. There's definitely a ton of text on here for a three drop, and it it's got haste. Yep, which some dragons don't even have. <laughs> what do you guys think about a? angelic ascension one in a white instant exile target creature or planeswalker its controller creates a four four white angel creature token with flying don't like it i gotta say i'm into this card are you i'm ah man i don't know so so here's where what i think about it i think it's going to be really good for dealing with your creatures in like white aggressive shells after your opponent tries to remove them so something like boros heroic or boros feather or like black white sramos you're like all those creatures in those decks often die to uh shock and this is a way to like get a little extra value make that creature survive a removal spell and have like a bigger beater 
off the top end. Yeah, I mean, you aren't playing this in SRAM because you're exiling your own creature, and then you're not getting, like, the death triggers off of, like, all the enchantment synergies. I hate to poke holes in the concept, but... You gotta poke holes sometimes to make a Swiss cheese. I mean, I think it's interesting that it's kind of, like, you're used when immediately to what uh, Shane was thinking about for that, uh, what's it called, the village rights? Oh, yeah. It's kind of like, we're gonna use it on my own creatures. I just look at this and go, white can kill a planeswalker at instant speed, and that's pretty handy tool but the trade-off is massive yes i mean generous gift didn't barely saw any even fringe testing in modern and that's you know that's a little bit more expensive but the the drawback is is much less and it also hits any permanent yeah generous gift does yeah but clearly this is not modern power level yeah right like most of the cards that we talked about today are not modern power level yeah, it's a good thing we had a pioneer focus breakdown because this kind of feels like a almost a pioneer focused spoiler sewed. Yeah, a little little bit. It's turning out that way. Um, but I man, that cost is rough. Rough, 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 rough to be like you got a four four flyer. Yeah. And I'm at six life. Well, now I killed I, this and now I have to figure out what to do with that. Totally. I mean, that's why I don't want to like target my opponent's creatures or walkers with it and use it defensively. The first thing I thought about with this, though, was can I play this in Eldrazi Taxes kind of style decks because I have Eldrazi Displacer in in my deck already, and so I can just blink the token. So I'll kill mm-hmm. your Planeswalker, blink the token, but if I'm playing most Taxes builds like that, I have access to black as well, and it's kind of like maybe I'm just playing you know some of black's Planeswalker removal instead of worrying about this card, you know. All right, so there you have it. Those were a lot of cards that we felt like talking about today. There are more cards that we could talk about, but sometimes we run out of time. We do have a little bit of a wind down planned for this episode, so we're going to take a quick break, and when we return, we're going to share some called shots about Core 21 and just reflect on the set in general based on the cards that we have seen thus far. So stay with us. Last week, I was biking to Dave's house. I was wearing a helmet, so I couldn't listen to music. We hung out in Dave's backyard. It was it was nice. Did you know about this, Shane? Did we ever tell you that we saw each other? I think so. I'm jealous. Sorry. I didn't mean to make you jealous. The listeners, though, they can have envy. Yeah. So, you know, because I'm wearing a helmet, I can't listen to music. I was just talking to myself and thinking about today's episode. And I had this idea try something new out, which is see if we can maybe make some bold claims and predictions on what we think is the best card in Core 21. And the way I framed this question for my co-host is, what do you think is the Uro of this set? I think instead of Uros, I think we have a lot more interesting potential role players. And I think I'll talk about that when we talk about our overall feelings on the set. Um, Here's what's crazy. I think I think the best card in the set is Phil's rights. It's, it's just such low opportunity cost, such low mana cost to have in the main deck of your synergistic decks. And then it has sideboard potential against removal, heavy decks against sweeper decks. There's a whole bunch of interactions from just like hitting Uro or Kroxa with their sack triggers on the stack to 
mono black aggro, having card advantage engines to like the rally and aristocrat style decks we know. It blanks adventure cards that are really popular in Pioneer. It, it can fizzle every one of them for value. Um, I mean, I'm just comparing it mentally to sort of like what, what Arkham's Astrolabe was compared to Prophetic Prism. You take one mana off it, and you have a staple. Um, I don't think it's, it's quite that, but I think this could be like Veil of Summer adjacent in terms of like whoa, 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 annoyance whoa, whoa. and presence. Whoa whoa we'll see big words i know i mean then again like i I also want to balance my excitement because like it's hyper efficient that doesn't mean that it's like doing something to progress your game plan and is it like worth a card like remember like claim to fame remember when like when lsv remember when lsv like one of the best players ever believed that it was going to break death shadow and make it be ban worthy and it ended up almost nowhere claim to fame it got played occasionally in in shadow very occasionally yeah stan what's what's your thought best card in the set it's hard i actually think there's a handful of contenders um i think long term it might just be goblin snoop because it seems to me like it may have the highest ceiling of any card in this set. Stan, can I tell you something? Just flipping through cards right now, I think that is my pick as well for the quote-unquote best card. Just in terms of like raw potential or synergistic potential? Yeah, and, and just that like it could enable crazy fast kills. It could just be played for value. Uh, really easy to cast for a lot of decks. Um immediately has a home. I, I just think like all of those are really strong, positive factors that kind of speak to this card's potential. Um, and like I said earlier, I kind of think we've only seen the tip of the iceberg and this card could be broken and maybe even like non goblins energies. Oh no, it has to be a goblin just because you only get the effect if it's a goblin, but I don't know. I could just see this card just being like hella broken. So can I ask you all a question? Yeah. What do you think is the most expensive card on pre-order from this set? Ooh, that's a good question. Sort by rarity. Well, <laughs> hold on. Are, are you looking at like regular art? Because there's like showcase arts and stuff. I am looking at it's regular art. Elder Gargoth. It is not that. Stan? Teferi? No. It is Grim Tutor, which we didn't even talk about. Of course. Yeah. Although, did we talk about Grim Tutor last week? I don't think we did. Guess what? I think Grim Tutor is too expensive to do anything in, in <laughs> modern, maybe Pioneer. There's your, there's my capsule review of Grim Tutor. Yeah. What's what's the second most in like in terms of normal card land? Not a, not a two hundred dollar reprint. Ugin. Oh yeah, Ugin still not cheap. Yeah, I mean like in, in terms of my thinking for this question, I think Teferi is in the running. I think we're still kind of undervaluating how crazy good it's going to be. Just using Teferi's abilities at instant speed, especially in a control shell that can, you know, protect Teferi. And, you know, last week I was a little skeptical about Eliminate, that one in a black removal spell. But after listening to last week's episode and just kind of thinking about this card, I actually think it's just fantastic now. And I'm a little embarrassed by some of my initial takes. And thinking about if Eliminate was around when Oko was a card, how, how much happier we would all feel. Because we would have like really cheap, efficient planeswalker removal. 
I'm not saying unban Oko, but this is kind of like a nice safety valve that I think can uh, have the type of longevity that we even see from Fatal Push. Totally. Glad to have you on the team, Stan. Dave, did you pick or is it, is it just Snoop? I think it's Snoop is the best card. I think that the card I'm most excited to try out, honestly, is the um, two draw, the heart, heart fire immolator and also Stormwing Entity. Those are the two cards that I'm the most excited to play with. But I think Snoop is something I'm definitely going to try and I think is probably going to be the most, the card we see the most in our formats in modern, which is mostly what I think about still. But gut check on Core 21 as we wind out this episode. Yeah. It's it's less powerful than I anticipated after kind of the initial after last week. Like I felt like I was not scraping, but I was definitely not blown away by the next week. I mean, we still have like 95 cards, I think, unspoiled. So they could do something crazy in the final drop tomorrow. Uh, remains to be seen, but it typically is not. We'll record an emergency pot if we have to. Yeah, if we get like if we get lightning bolt in the bulks, the bulk spoiler, then we'll have an addendum. <laughs> Dave, gut check? A uh, little underwhelmed. I think the marquee cards are a little worse than I thought they were going to be because I'm really having a hard time figuring out where they're supposed to go. A lot of good and necessary reprints, so I'm happy about that. But um, not a huge thing that's really turning my wheels. I think this is a power level that I'm comfortable with for standard slash premier sets moving forward where you have like a handful of cards that are powerful, but are kind of narrow and aren't going to be Oko's that you just like splash into as many decks as you possibly can because of how much value they accrue. Um, and you know, the fact that it's got like Baneslayer and ruined halo reprints, even like adding them to pioneer, I think it's kind of neat whether or not their powerful cards remains to be seen, but just, a nice mix of powerful reprints coupled with like strong cards that are narrow but effective is something that I would be okay with in, in magic sets in general. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, there's a lot of potential here. So, yeah. We'll see what happens next week. I, it might be too soon for a sleep believe heave, but I'm excited to start pouring over those leagues results and, uh, challenges whatnot to figure out where people are putting these cards and listen wherever new cards are going to end up you're going to hear it on the dive down and if the dive down is the first podcast per week that you listen to on fridays you're going to hear it here first <laughs> but for now that wraps up this week's show if you haven't yet make sure you do subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out and you find out who's brewing with what from corset 21 if you use Apple Podcasts, consider leaving us a rating and review. If you'd like to submit a question to the podcast, you can find us at The Dive Down on Twitter. You can even email us at divedown at gmail.com. Many of you probably know that we're in the Modern and Pioneer subreddits almost every Friday. I'm pretty good at responding to people there. If you'd like to support the show, you can join us on Patreon patreon.com slash the dive down a dollar an episode gets you into our slack more money gets you some perks do whatever feels right we'll be here for you no matter the amount you pay us or if you don't pay us at all shout out to mana traders of course for sponsoring the dive down if you sign up for mana traders using the promo code the dive down all one word 
You can get 15% off your first three months of renting Magic Online cards. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. Until next week, get out there and scavenger! Ooh!